you to open your Bible with me tonight to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. We will be in verses 46 through 55 tonight. Uh, this is the time of year as we are preparing for Christmas that uh, our, our hearts and our memories um, immediately reflect on certain things. We talked about uh, the lights of Christmas a couple of, of weeks back as uh, the prophet Isaiah promised that a light would shine for the nations and of course that was a prophecy of Christ who was to come. And uh, as we celebrate Christmas and we see the, the brilliant lights, it's a reminder to us that Jesus is the light of the world. And last time we looked at the genealogy of Jesus, his ancestry. And uh, as we reflect on Christmas, for many of us there are fond memories of being with family and the important role that family plays in our lives and shaping us and developing us into who we are. and We looked into the genealogy of Jesus and seen uh, both through Mary and through Joseph, his lineage all the way back into the Old Testament uh, from King David, his, the royalty uh, of Jesus, but also his humanity as it's traced all the way back to Adam. And uh, through the Gospel of Matthew, the emphasis on, on Jesus as the king, his rightful role as the king of the Jews, uh, being fulfilled and, and in Luke's gospel the emphasis on the humanity of Christ and how Jesus is one of us uh, through the virgin birth he is both God and he is fully man and the, the, the critical role that uh, that played in our salvation today or tonight we're going to be looking at uh, music Christmas carols it's one of our favorite things that we have as, as we celebrate Christmas for those of us who sing them, but maybe not for those of us who play Christmas carols, uh, I've been told repeatedly through the years that Christmas carols are very difficult to play. But uh, you could have fooled me because they always sound beautiful to me, and I appreciate uh, those who have the talent to play music of any variety, and uh, I just salute you for that. But uh, Christmas carols, uh, undoubtedly you have a favorite or favorites. Anybody want to share tonight one of your favorite Christmas carols? What child is this? Oh, holy night. Oh, holy night. <laughs> I like the drummer boy. Uh huh, the drummer boy. Anybody else? Any favorites? Uh, my favorite might be Hark the Herald Angels Sing. You know, it's just not Christmas until you hear Linus reciting the Christmas story from the stage, and then you hear the Peanut characters all joining in, singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing, as uh, they are looking at Charlie Brown's little dingy tree that they spruce up. You know, Then it's Christmas when you hear those things. And so, uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And Christmas carols, as, as sentimental as many of them are to us, they... Uh, a lot of them hold a, a great deal of theological truth and, and doctrine in them. And, and all throughout uh, history, God's people have, have learned and, and uh, come to grow in their knowledge of doctrine through music and through song. And uh, that's, a, that's definitely the case with, with many Christmas carols. Now, some of them, you know, um, you know Santa Baby, you know, and things like that, you know, no, no you know, theological doctrine. In, in things like that, you know. But when we come to some of these these Christmas carols, a great deal of, of truth in them. And so we can learn valuable lessons through music. And that's what we're going to look at tonight, the very first Christmas carol. And that was found on the lips of Mary, 
the mother of Jesus here in Luke chapter 1 verses 46 through 55. We can learn valuable lessons from this very first Christmas carol. Uh, we'll look at Luke 1 beginning at verse 46 and these words inspired by the Holy Spirit uh, from the pen of Luke says, And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servants, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. The occasion of this first Christmas carol was Mary's visit to Elizabeth. If we're familiar with the story... Uh, Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel and was told that she would be with child uh, through the, the, um, uh, the, the conception of the Holy Spirit. And Mary goes to visit her relative Elizabeth, we are told in the Scripture. Beginning at verse 39, it says, At this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her womb, uh, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Of course, this was John the Baptist, and uh, a couple things significant about that. First of all, you had a Baptist who who leaped. You know, normally we think we're we're pretty laid back and, and subdued. You know, uh, the frozen chosen, so to speak. But here you have the Baptist, the original Baptist. He leaped. You know, and so uh, make of that what you will. But what's also significant in there is you had this living human being inside the womb of his mother that even before he was born into this world, John the Baptist had enough personhood about him that through the hearing the voice uh, of Mary, the mother of Jesus, leaped inside the womb for joy and uh, as we think about the dignity and the sanctity of human life here, here is one right here it, it, that's a very clear indication for us that even before this child was born God had a, had a role for John the Baptist and a, a purpose for him and uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, Elizabeth was in this moment. Verse 42, And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And so there was faith on the part of Mary. Faith in God, faith in, in God being able to do the impossible. Faith that God was trustworthy and would keep his word. And Mary's faith was recognized even by Elizabeth saying, 
you know, how blessed you are because you believed. How blessed you are because you had faith in what was spoken by the Lord. And so what follows in this point from verse 46 on to 55 is, is a song of praise, a spontaneous Christmas carol from the heart and from the lips of Mary. This song of praise is called the Magnificat. In Latin, it's, uh, the very first word is magnifies. You know, my soul magnifies the Lord. And that's where uh, that phrase, that term comes from. And uh, we see in this several things about Mary that are pretty significant and noteworthy. This morning we talked about commendable Christians and those, those believers whom we ought to emulate and, and follow their example. We've got one for us right here in Mary, the mother of Jesus. First thing we see is that she knew the importance of Scripture. She knew God's Word. And it's, it's obvious from reading this, there are uh, 16 Old Testament quotations or references. She alludes to the Word of God in these verses 16 times in different ways and, and found all over Scripture in the Law and in the Prophets and the Psalms. It's obvious that Mary was a woman. She was not, not even a woman at this point, but a, a, a young girl, uh, probably early teens. But she knew God's Word because she knew it was important. And as we read this, we see a lot of similarities between Mary's praise and the prayer of Hannah back in the book of 1 Samuel. And how does it come about that this young girl knew God's Word? Well, obviously, she grew up, she, she grew up hearing the Word of God. And through, through listening and, and through reading the Word for herself and, and by learning, being taught, she had, she had parents, undoubtedly, that understood the importance of the Word and, and instilled that value into her and trained her so that she would know the Word for herself. What an awesome example that is. Not only did she know God's Word, she had memorized God's Word. Because as we read this, there, there is no report of Mary opening up a scroll and saying, well, let me find where it says this in the Bible, and then I will quote it. Now, this is completely off the cuff. She had taken the Word of God, like, like David says in Psalm 119, and she had hid God's Word in her heart. It was that important for her. It should be that important for us. I don't know how many times that, that we hear something and say, well, let me see if I can find that in Scripture. And then we've got to dig and search. And, and we're, we're blessed today with technology. We've got things like Google that we can look it up. But there is just something powerful about having the Word in our hearts and in our minds and be able to recall that. And, and, and there are times whenever we are in conversation with others and there's just a Word of God that, that's just so... Um, so relevant to that situation that the Holy Spirit will bring that to memory. If we are not in God's Word and God's Word is not getting into us, we, we lack that. And I know some say, well, it's a challenge. I don't have much of a memory and, and so forth. But you know, do we really think that, that little of the Word of God that we don't even try to memorize the Word of God? As we enter into this new year, you know, for, for, for many, that's a challenge for, for, to, to be able to discipline ourselves and make that a priority and say, you know what, I'm going to memorize 
a verse of scripture every week or or a verse of scripture every month or or whatever the case may be you know take it small but i think we would be very amazed at what god will do when we memorize his word mary did that and not only did she memorize god's word she applied god's word it went beyond just up here and it affected her in her life and she applied it to her specific situation it was relevant to her and that's the thing about scripture is it's God speaking to us not to give us information but to bring about transformation God's word is not there just to make us smart and say well I can recall all these verses you know that's great that's wonderful but what does that do for you how are you living that out in your life if it's really the word of God it is full of power nothing more powerful and we need to be looking at our lives and seeking to apply this and, that, and that's wisdom and wisdom is the application of knowledge it goes beyond just learning stuff it's, it's putting it into practice and seeing how it makes a difference in our lives. And that was the case for Mary. She understood the Bible was true, and she understood it was important and relevant to her. And as she's reading this, she's applying this, and over and over again, she says, the Lord has done great things for me. He's done this for me. All generations will count me blessed. She's she's considering how God's promises to her and how God's word makes a difference in her life she knew the importance of scripture but as we already said a while ago she knew the importance of submission of faith she trusted god she trusted her heavenly father you know submission can either be done by by humbly trusting or it can be done by resisting if you've ever tried to remove a splinter from the finger of a child you'll know what i'm talking about you know the the wiggling and the squirming and the pulling and 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 you know there's there's a lack of submission there and if it is there it's it's very resistant but when you are able to sit still and trust yes this is for my own good and and I know this hurts but if I leave it in it's going to hurt even worse and to have enough faith in in a parent to remove that and have enough faith in God because think about all that was about to happen to Mary. And, and so we think, wow, you know, it's, it's it, an awesome, a magnificent thing. She was going to give birth to her Savior. But think about all the challenges that lay in front of her at this point. Being betrothed to Joseph, him knowing, you know, that that's not physically my child. It, will he buy into this? You know, what will my family think of me and, and what will my village think of me when I say, you know, this, this child in me was conceived via the Holy Spirit and I'm going to be giving birth to the Messiah. And, and, and all of the, the pressure and, and all of the difficulty and the trial that this would be by surrendering to God's will. And yet she trusted God enough. And say, Lord, I don't make sense. This will make my li- this will this will turn my life completely upside down. And all of my plans that I had for my life have now been completely rewritten. And I'm scared to death. I have no idea how this is going to play out. But God, I trust you. You know that's submission. And Mary had submission, 
and we ought to as well. It requires humility, and we see the world, the world detests humility. You know, the world is all about power, about strength, about, about flexing your muscle, exerting your influence on others. And, and the word humility is, is a, a dirty word. You know, if, you're, if you're humble, people are just going to walk all over. You've got to take what you want. And the world detests humility. But humility from a biblical sense is not the same as timidity or shyness. Because that's not being humble. It's actually being self-absorbed. It's saying, well, I don't want to talk i don't want to interject you know i'd rather just stay quiet stay to myself you know you're thinking of yourself honestly in that regard and so humility requires us sometimes to even get out of our shell and to be able to uh speak with others and be able to to act out of selfish concerns as we said this morning it's not all about you especially in a, in a covenant community to be able to let the guard down and, and, and be humble enough to acknowledge I've got issues and I need help. Can you help me? You know, that's humility. And the world world hates that. You know, that's that's not what the world is all about. But humility is caring more for the needs of others than yourself. That's and it's very unnatural. That's not human nature to think of others more than yourself. A baby doesn't come out of the womb thinking, It's not about me. You know, what can I do to bless my parents today? You know, it, it's, it's self-absorbed, and that's just, it's the way we're wired. And we have to be taught these things. And it's unnatural. It's supernatural. And that's where we need the Holy Spirit, and that's where we need the power of God. So the world detests humility, but the Lord demands it. There's no way around it in Scripture. Proverbs 16:5. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination. To the Lord. James 4 6, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And here we see in verse 48, Mary recognized her own lowly condition. She says, For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. She considered herself a servant of God. She doesn't look at God and say, God, what can you do for me? What can you give me? She was not concerned about that. She saw herself as she ought to. He is God. I am not. He is my master. He is my Lord. I am his servant. And she humbled herself and submitted to the will of God. But not only does the Lord demand humility, the Lord demonstrates humility. As Jesus, God in the flesh, came and dwelt among us, what do we see in his life? No regard for himself, but love for others. In John 13, the night that Jesus was arrested, before that took place, in the upper room, what did Jesus do? He washed his disciples' feet. You know, and that was a day and age where they were walking the same roads and the same pathways as pack animals were. And you can imagine the disgusting uh, appearance and the disgusting uh, smell and the sight of feet. You know, some people despise feet even now. Could you imagine looking at and stooping down and cleaning someone? That was a menial chore. 
that was something the lowliest of the group was socially required to do for the others. And Jesus came in, humbled himself to the lowest point, said, I'm going to wash your all's feet. Peter said, no, 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 you're not, my feet you're not going to wash. And then Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And then Peter said, well, not just my feet. Make sure you get my head and everything else with it. And Jesus said, you know, it's enough. You know, you've already been clean. But I'm doing this. And he says, as I've done this to you, you know, do this to others. Humbled, lowered himself, and served. And in Philippians chapter 2, we, we read that wonderful Christological passage where it, it speaks about Jesus and it says, even though he existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held onto, but he emptied himself of all of his rights and his privileges, and, and of all the glory, he just set it aside. And he condescended and came in the form of a human being, and not just a human being, but in the form of a servant to serve us. And not just to serve us, but to die for us. Not just to die for us, but to die on a cross. The most excruciating form of capital punishment ever invented in the depraved heart and mind of man. And Jesus came to do that. He lowered himself to the lowest of lows came not as a conquering king, but came as a lowly infant born to a poor couple in a, in a manger and, and, and just as helpless as could be. But yet he came, lowered himself so that he might, might serve others. And as Jesus demonstrates this humility in the coming of Christ, and it brings a reversal to the world system as Mary's Christmas carol shows he turns the world upside down. And he takes what is lowly and exalts it. Because we read in Philippians, Paul says, because of this, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that's above all names. Why does he have the highest name? Because he was the lowest of servants. And he chose out of love to do that. So Mary knew the importance of Scripture. She knew the importance of, of submission and she was Christ-like in her response to the Lord. But Mary also knew the importance of salvation. She knew she needed a Savior. And she knew that God had to be the one to provide that, or she had no hope. We see this. She praised Him, first of all, for His mercy. In verses 46 through 45, Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God. Who is God? He is my Savior. Not just a Savior, one among many. Not just the Savior, but my Savior. She acknowledges in this that she needs to be saved. And she acknowledges that Jesus is my Savior. Even though she was going to deliver this child, you know, Mary, did you know this child will soon deliver you? Yeah, Mary knew this. She was told this up front, you know, the Lord, my Savior, God, my Savior. Why does she exalt the Lord? Why does her spirit rejoice? Verse 48, 4, because he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. She says, God has regarded me. In my humble condition, in my helpless state, God has seen my helplessness and God has, has, has begun to act 
to help me where I had no hope. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. Verse 49, For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. He is the Mighty One. He is the Holy One with the Holy Name, and yet He has done great things for me. That's mercy. God did not have to save Mary. God did not have to save any of us. But God chooses because He is a God of mercy. He chooses to save us. And He enacts the plan of salvation on our behalf. Because He is merciful. Mary praised Him for that. And and you and I should praise Him for that too. Verse 50, And His mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear Him. It is reverencing God. It is, it is humbling ourselves and, and revering Him and fearing the Lord that enacts His mercy for us. His mercy is available to us if we would just humbly acknowledge we need it, acknowledge He is who the Bible says He is, acknowledge we are sinners as the Bible says we are, humble ourselves, reverence Him in fear, and His mercy is there for us. She praised Him for His mercy. She also praised Him for His provision in verse 51 through 53. She says, He has done mighty deeds with His arm. He has done this. I have not done any mighty deeds. No one else has done the mighty deeds, but God, He has done mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Those who think, I don't need God. I'm good enough. I'm better than that person down there. I'm, I, I'm better than, than this person over there. I haven't done these things. I, I've, I've been good enough. But he has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. And not only that, he has exalted those who were humble. That's the reversal there those who who lower themselves and humbly acknowledge they need God and throw themselves on his mercy he exalts those who think highly of themselves and think they don't need God and they don't need a savior he humbles it's all about our response to him Mary understood that verse 52 he has brought down rulers from their thrones exalted those who were humble. Verse 53, his provision, he has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. Filled the hungry with good things. Reminds me of the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't it? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then what does he say? For they shall be filled. When we hunger and thirst for God, that, that's our greatest need, our greatest hunger. We need God. We need the Lord. Everybody needs the Lord. And when we acknowledge that and we actually hunger and thirst for Him, we find His provision is there. He's the bread of life. He is the living water. He's everything your soul desires. And much more. His abundant provision is there. Mary understood that. Do we? 
Understand how much we need God and how much God provides for us. And how He fills the hungry with good things, with, above all things, His righteousness. And finally, she praised Him for His faithfulness, that God always keeps His word. Verse 54, He has given help to Israel, His servants. Why? In remembrance of His mercy. God made a promise to Abraham and to his descendants. And God was planning to honor that. And, and that promise was made, you know, some thousands of years prior to Mary even speaking about these things. But God had not forgotten his promise. God did not intend to break his promise. Verse 55, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever that when God speaks you can take that to the bank and we read the promises of scripture and we find in the promises of scripture whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved it's whoever humbles themselves and recognizes I need help I can't do this and I call on somebody to help me whoever does that and calls on the name of the Lord the promise is what they shall be saved but it takes humbling ourselves. And it takes an understanding and a trust that God is faithful. He keeps His Word. And we praise Him for that. Mary praised Him for this. And into the hurt of humanity, God sends hope and He sends healing. And it comes through one who trusts in His Word. And through this faith and through God's acting through this faith, He brings about this reversal of fortunes. Back in December of 2009, I remember reading a story about a pair of homeless brothers in Europe. They lived in Hungary. And they were homeless and they lived in a cave, of all things. And they, and they were able to make a living or sustain themselves by, by selling junk, by, by salvaging through garbage and finding things and selling in order to make enough money to eat with. And then luck or fate or providence would have it. They had a long-lost grandmother that passed away. And they were set to receive an inheritance not just any inheritance, but inheritance over $6 billion. <laughs> you see, they were estranged from their mother, who also was estranged from her mother, who lived in Germany. And they had no clue who this woman was, had no clue how much she was worth. But when their long-lost grandmother died, they were next in line to inherit over $6 billion. I tried to, to look it up and find out today and update, but I wasn't able to, to determine or find anything. But that was six years ago. I could imagine what their story has been like ever since. But one of them said in the story, he said, uh, this is going to help in, in a lot of ways. He said, women won't even look at us right now. Uh, I, I can imagine this is going to help with that, you know. Yeah, he, he, this is the guy who understood his... his his uh his needs there I guess you know he needed a woman so and this money he hoped was gonna gonna help with that but you know their greatest need is Jesus 
doesn't matter how much money they were set to receive or inherit the greatest need of mankind is to be saved from their sins and the only one that can do that is Jesus and the only way that's going to happen is if we humble ourselves and faithfully trust in his word that he has done what he has said he is going to do and he will do what he promises he will do it is finished it's been accomplished as we celebrate Christmas we celebrate God enacting this plan this rescue mission and Jesus humbling himself and laying it all down for the sake of his bride the church and being magnified and glorified in our soul like Mary recognizing this that God looked upon our lowly, lowly estate and he has saved us and we revere him and we call upon his name and we worship him you know we as Protestants sometimes accuse Catholics of overemphasizing the importance of Mary and in many ways they do in reality we as Protestants sometimes underemphasize the importance of Mary we, want, we don't want to be seen as Mary worshipers and so we, we oh she was just this or she was just that but in reality we read in scripture this magnificent story of her faith and how she understood the importance of scripture she understood the importance of submitting to God she understood the importance of salvation and through her heart and from her lips pour out this beautiful song her soul magnified the Lord that very first Christmas carol I pray that it inspires us to likewise consider the importance of Scripture, to memorize God's Word, heighten our heart, apply it in our lives, to understand the importance of submission as God has a will and a purpose for us that goes beyond anything that we could even imagine. And sometimes that causes discomfort. Sometimes it, it causes us to, to leave the familiar and, and to take our plans and just wad them up and throw them in the trash can and say, okay, God, whatever you got in store for me, let's see it. And to understand the importance of our salvation, our soul needs saved, our soul hungers, and it thirsts. And let's find that satisfaction in God. So recognize Mary's devotion to the Lord and we would do well to emulate that let's pray Father again we thank you for your word we thank you God that we find truth we thank you God that we find answers we thank you God that we find you we thank you that we find examples of men and women and boys and girls that encountered you and as imperfect as they were they acknowledged this they trusted in your faithfulness, humbled themselves, surrendered to your will, and as a result, were exalted. And Lord, as we enter this Christmas season and we, we celebrate the humility of Jesus, we understand his humility led to his glory. And the pathway to glory involves suffering as we live in this sin-sick, broken, fallen world. And Lord, help us to cast aside those hindrances. Let us, let us not be 
distracted and discouraged when we lack health and wealth and power and all these things that the world clamors and fights for. Because Mary has reminded us, God, you turn the world upside down. And when we pursue those things, they won't satisfy. But when we pursue a relationship with you, to know you in the deep and most meaningful way possible, you lift us up. We ask for that, God, a reminder tonight. and Help us take that message forward. We all need the Lord. And the Lord is there ready to pour out His mercy if we revere Him and call upon Him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.